He said, to the extent I desire to move through you, you must allow me to cut on you. The Leader's Cut. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Leader's Cut. If this is your first time joining our conversation, welcome to the table. If you've been rolling all year long, what's going on? It's amazing to think about the fact that it's been an entire year of uh, doing the leader's cut. This is our first full year of doing the cut. And uh, it's been a wild ride. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that during this episode. I want to pray. Let me just say before I pray, there's some heavy lifting in this episode. This episode is not for the faint of heart. Uh, If you run with me. You will hear me say at some point, um, the advice I give you, the wisdom I try and pass on to you, uh, isn't, isn't cheap and it's never free. And I'm never going to tell you the easy way. And some people bounce on me, uh, all the time people bounce on me for that very thing. And it, it's okay. It happened to Jesus too. I'm not equating myself to Jesus, but I mean, Jesus would say, eat my flesh and drink my blood and people bounced on him. <laughs> and uh, there were so many other instances. So uh, I don't take it personally, but I always feel uh, it's very important to uh, give you a heads up before we jump into this. Uh, because if you're going to navigate the 2024 that God is desiring you steward, not just to the best of your ability, but uh, with his anointing to pull it off, you're going to have to, and I'm going to have to answer some really hard questions. And that's going to take some really hard work on our end. So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to uh, help us, but cut on us. Spirit of the living God, thank you for being present. Thank you for being with us at all times. We are never without you. And there are things that, God, you want to accomplish in us and through us in this next year, 2024. And we can't pull those things off without you. We can't pull those things off with our flesh on fleek. So Holy Spirit, would you cut on us? All throughout this episode, would you cut on us? Anywhere my flesh is wanting a meal, Holy Spirit, would you starve it out? And as you cut on our flesh, thereby making more room for you, for your spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray you would run rampant in our everyday lives in 2024 in a way we've never seen you operate. Your two four. Do whatever must be done on us and in us, so that you might do through us everything the Father desires be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're gonna walk through seven really important questions um, that I think are a good annual exercise. Um, they're not easy questions. Some of the questions are wordier questions. Uh, and I want, I want to walk you through each one. Some we're going to spend a little more time on than others. 
Uh, and this may be a little bit of a, a lengthier episode, and and here's why. Because 2024, there's a lot God's desiring. And so I don't want to rush through this. And I also want to say, do your best to make it to the end of this episode. Because I have a feeling, as I was putting these notes together, I have a feeling at the end um, that the Spirit of God may may go on a bit of a streak. All right? And so uh, I, I don't say that to you every episode, uh, but make it all the way to the end on this one. That'd be a great way to finish the year. Okay. First of seven questions that I think it's going to be really important for you to answer as you step into 2024 is this. What is God saying? Question number one, what is God saying? Now, I'm fully aware of the fact that uh, some, if not many, are against or anti-God speaking. This is difficult for me to comprehend because when I process this as a father, what good father chooses never to say a single word to his children? This is one of the most simple reasons why it's hard for me to understand that, that God is a God who doesn't speak any longer. Now, having said that, I always like to remind those of my friends who uh, are a little more on the cessationist side of the spectrum. I have plenty of those friends. Uh, here's what I would say. We don't elevate what we feel is a word spoken by God anywhere near the level of the written word of God. Here's why. I can get it wrong. I can get it wrong. Well, Preston, if you can get it wrong anytime, that means you should be careful all the time, which means better to not do anything because you're not sure if it's a word from the Lord than to do anything and be wrong thinking it was a word from God and it's not. I disagree with that. Okay. If I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall in the direction of the Lord. All right. And I've missed it plenty of times, but here's how I see hearing a word from the Lord. I don't expect to get it right a thousand percent of the time. I don't. I, I don't expect to bat a thousand. My hope is that whatever I sense the Lord saying, even if I don't fully understand it because I see it through a glass dimly lit, I'm going to step in his direction and trust that he's going to order my steps. All right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 20 and 21 say this, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Really important verse. Only five words, but really important verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not scoff. Do not look down upon prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. Okay, the word for prophecies here in 1 Thessalonians 5 is the word propheteia. And here's what it means. It means a declaration of the knowledge of God, especially concerning past, present, or future manifestations of the outworking of his will or other events. Propheteia. Okay, propheteia is a cheat code, all right? Think about it like this. Why would you start walking into this new year before God tells you in which direction to go? Think about it like this. What if you and I were about to go to lunch after we're done with this episode? And uh, I don't tell you uh, 
uh, what restaurant we're going to, and therefore you don't know how to get there. What would it be like if we got in the car, you're driving, I know the restaurant and I know how to get there, but you don't know the restaurant and you don't know how to get there. How foolish would it be for you to say to me, if I say to you, you know where we're going? And you say back, oh, I know where we're going. And I know a shortcut. Okay, this is how many of us are with the Lord. <laughs> it's like we get into the vehicle. We think we're steering. We don't, we're like, Noah, we don't know where we're going. And we definitely don't know how to get there. But we say to the Lord, oh, oh, I know where we're going in 2024. How do you know where, where you're going if you don't know the end from the beginning? See, most people don't ask God for directions because they think they already know where they're going. How bold of me to go into a new year thinking because I know the trajectory of my past, that, that I know what this year is going to. I've had multiple people already tell me about 2024. Preston, this is going to be a big year for you. And things are going to explode. This is going to be a big year. And here's my response. At 45 years old, I don't know. See, what they're doing is they're basing it off of my recent track record. I'm basing my answer off of what I know to be true. And that is, I don't know how 2024 is going to go for me or you or anyone else. But I do know the one who does know. And that's why I try never to go into a year acting like I know how it's all going to go. Okay, let's, let's answer this question before we move to the second question. Why do we need a word? Because some of you might be asking this question. Preston, why do I even need a word going into the new year? A couple of things. Here's the first one. First, because you can stand on it. You can't stand on a hunch that you have. You can't stand on an idea that you have in the midst of a storm. We can only stand on the word of God. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. When God speaks, I can stand on it. All right? So, so I, I need to go into the new year with a word from the Lord. I'm not talking about some rhyming word. It may rhyme, but you know, don't work hard to get some catchy catchphrase for the year. I just want to know what, what God is saying about this new year. Here's the second reason I think we need a word, because it helps you prepare. Now, the, the passage I'm about to read, I know it's about the inerrant word of God, but I take this principle and apply it to any word I sense God speaking to me, all right? It's the same principle, all right? Now, so hear me, I'm not putting it on the same level. I'm using the principle to help guide me on how to steward or see a word from the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So, such a calibrating verse about the word of God in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Watch verse 17. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people, his children, to do every good work. Okay, when God speaks, one of the purposes is to prepare and equip us to do the work he set 
before us. Let me say it this way. God's words prepare us for God's work. Think about it like this. Uh, I kind of see a word from the Lord about a new year like a recipe. It's not a dish. It's not like he's saying, this is the year of for me. I feel like he's saying, this is the year where, and here's what's going to be required to pull it off. If I told you, you're coming over to the house for dinner, or I'm going to your house for dinner, and you say, Preston, what's your favorite dish? And I say, lasagna. What are you going to do? You're going to get a recipe for lasagna that shows you all the necessary ingredients for cooking lasagna. That's how I see a word from the Lord as it relates to a new year. For instance, if God says, if he gives you a burden or an impression using the word more, more helps you prepare for increase. Or maybe God gives you a word around uh, this new year, like the word storm. Storm helps prepare with more strength. I'm, if, if God says, Preston, there's a storm coming in 2024, I'm going to prepare with more strength. Trust and believe. I'm going to build up my strength. Or if God says, Preston, here's the word for 2024, persevere. Now, I know I'm just using one word, so don't get caught up on that. But oftentimes, I feel the Lord give me a burden with only one word. If he says the words persevere, that word helps me prepare not to give up when things get hard later on in the year. You see what I'm saying? When God gives you a word as you step into a new year, it helps prepare you to navigate it well. And that brings us to the third thing, the third why I believe we need a word, because it helps guide us. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, your own ears will hear the Lord. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether the right or to the left. A word from the Lord about your year in the beginning of the year will help guide you all throughout your year. Before you go into this year, get a word from the Lord. I don't care if it takes you 40 days of prayer and fasting. Get a word. Because what God wants to do through you is an indicator of the work he expects from you as well as to be done in you. That's what this next run of questions is really about. Question number two, as we talk about this new year, what is God wanting to do through me, which I want to do? Now, I hope you're writing down all these questions because I, I truthfully, I, I believe the Lord wants you to answer them all. And I wouldn't be giving you my time or these questions if I thought they were a waste, okay? These are questions I try and answer that help me steward a year the way God desires, okay? Question two, what is God wanting to do through me, which I want to do? I call these assignments I agree with. (laughs) Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Watch this next part. Which... God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about this new year like this. 
there are very specific things. And when I, when I meditate on this, it boggles my mind. There are very specific things which God wants to do through you in this new year that he has been planning since before the beginning of time. <laughs> I mean, don't go into a new year just going, oh, yeah, just, just another year. Yeah, it's all good. No, no, no. This is a different year. This new year is not like any past year because there are things God desires to do through you that he's been planning since long before the day of your birth. See, that should get you excited, but it, it should also motivate you to walk into this year carrying a sense of responsibility that there are specific things God wants to do through me. And some of those things I'm going to want to do. Philippians 2 verse 13 helps calibrate us on how to handle these assignments. The big focus as it relates to assignments, which I agree with, is this. We need to partner with God in these assignments. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God who works in me. It's God who works in you. One of my favorite things about God is that he never desires that we would attempt to pull something off which he desires us to do all by ourselves. Never. He wants to do it together. Now, here's what I've learned about assignments I agree with or assignments I'm excited about. Things God is going to ask me to do that I actually want to do. Here's what I've learned. Assignments I'm excited about are usually the ones I'm tempted to do in my own strength. In the past, here's how I've responded to assignments that I agree with. I got this, God. Because I so badly want this, I'm willing to do anything to pull it off. Okay, you may not be wired that way. I've made some mistakes living my life this way. I got so excited about some, this is the year, this is the year. Maybe you wanted to start your own business and you feel like the Lord says, this is the year. And you get so excited that you start the business without his blessing. You literally started the business in obedience, but you don't start it with his blessing because you immediately started doing things in your own strength apart from him. Remember, everything God desires you to do, he wants to do with you. That's what best friends do. <laughs> they want to do everything together. As you go into this new year, yes, you're going to be excited about some of the things that God is asking you to do. Set a goal. I'm not doing one of them in my own strength. Not for a month. Not for a minute. I'm, if he wants me to do it, no matter how excited I am about it, I'm going to do it in his strength and in partnership with him. Okay, that brings us to the next question, which is the other side of this coin. What is God wanting to do through me, which I don't want to do? 
<laughs> we're going to spend a few minutes on this one because I assure you, and, and I kind of breeze through question number two because that, that's low-hanging fruit. Like I'm not going to have to convince you to do things that God asked you to do, which you want to do. But I might have to convince you a little bit to do things which God wants you to do, which you don't want to do. I call these assignments I want to argue about. <laughs> I, I get these all the time, and so do you, and we're going to understand why in this teaching. Jonah chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. I'm going to read a couple of verses. This is the very beginning of, of the book of Jonah's story as it's recorded. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. Why? Scripture tells us to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. Okay, we all feel like Jonah from time to time. We, we hammer Jonah for disobediently going in the wrong direction, but you and I are guilty just like Jonah was. We do it all the time. We just don't end up in the belly of a whale. I can't, I, I can't even enumerate how many times I've since God asked me to do something and my first response is, or was, I, I don't want to do that. And I start walking in the opposite direction. I wish it weren't true. Sometimes it's almost like an involuntary reflex. To the extent I don't want to do it is the extent to which I most quickly and expeditiously walk in the opposite direction. You're going to be tempted this year with a couple of things God desires you to do and to do through you, which you do not want to do. You're going to be tempted. Not just to not do them but to go in the opposite direction. Don't. Don't. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you to do something that maybe no one's ever brought to your attention before. And I've, I've learned it by navigating some of these assignments that I want to argue with God about. And I'm sorry if it disappoints you that I say, Sometimes I go back and forth with the Lord about assignments he gives me that I don't want anything to do with, but I'm just human. And which would you rather? Would you rather me lie to you and say, oh yeah, every assignment God gives me, I just quickly go, yes, Lord. <laughs> no, hashtag five-year-old. Uh, but, but here's what I've seen as I've navigated some of these waters. And it's become one of my favorite things about God. How patient he is. I didn't understand one of the sides of God involves him giving us room to wrestle. And it's become one of my favorite things about him. Now, I try not to over leverage it. But from time to time, I do experience it. Let me give you an additional, not a different way, but an additional way to see 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I know this is talking about salvation, but I'm, listen, 
every verse shows us something about God. And so I'm, I'm pointing at God, not at salvation, as I read this to you, okay? So I'm not, I'm not giving you a different way, just an additional way to see this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake, Preston. Because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I understand that's about salvation. But think about what the word repent means. To turn in the opposite direction. If I'm going in the wrong direction, God, his heart is to give me time and room to wrestle in order for me to turn and go in his direction. God gives us time. Now, Jonah, where Jonah really goes wrong is he immediately takes matters into his own hands and starts disobediently going in the opposite direction. Here's what I've learned to do. Before I allow my feet to go in the wrong direction, I try and give myself time to wrestle in my heart with what might be a little bit off. Because think about it. Why would I, if my best friend, the God of the universe, ever comes to me and says, there's something I want to ask you to do that I'm not going to ask anyone else to do. Why would I not get excited every time? Once he tells me what it is, why would I ever get bothered with it? Why would I ever be afraid of it? Why would I ever run in the opposite direction of it? And yet, I do sometimes. So, because my feet have gotten me in trouble the same way Jonah's feet got him in trouble, here's what I try to do. I try not to move my feet until I've given myself a little bit of time to wrestle with the Lord, to go back and forth with the Lord on this. Here's part of what this verse helps us see. The promise takes place when I turn. And God gives me time to get there. He gave me two and a half years on one of the biggest things he's, he's ever asked of me. He gave me two and a half years to get to a place where my heart wasn't just obedient. It was in love with what he was asking me to do. He gave me time. Now, when God gives us time, don't waste it. Steward it. Wrestle through it. Here's what I've learned. Sometimes you can behold an entirely new side of God in the back and forth. Just ask Job. We read Job and we see this back and forth that just seems scandalous. And yet, by the end of the book, Job has seen an entirely new side of God. Please hear me. I'm not advocating for being disrespectful to the Lord. I'm not advocating for uh, being belligerent with the Lord, uh, being angry at the Lord. I'm not advocating those things. What I'm saying is, I'm advocating honesty before the Lord when you're struggling with something he's asked you to do. Some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life were not doing something he asked me to do simply because I didn't want to do it. There was something he wanted to give me that I was unable to receive simply because I rejected his offer via disobedience. Now, 
in the same way um, that I gave you a focus in the last question, uh, I want to give you a focus on these kind of assignments. Okay, so we had a focus on the assignments that we agree with. Now I want to give you a focus on the assignments that we want to argue with God about. The focus with these assignment, assignments is not partnership like the other. The focus of these assignments is submission. Here's the question. What will you do when God asks you to do something you don't want to do? See, I think it's important to answer this question before you even get specific about it. This is a general question. What will I do when God asks me to do something I don't want to do? Forget about what it's about. Well, what if God asked me to do this and I don't really want to do it? Well, I would handle that like this. No, no, no. That, that's specific. I like to keep it general so that that wisdom and truth applies to every situation I might find myself in. What will I do when God asks me to do something I don't want to do? Here's the right answer. Submit. That's the goal. The goal is that I would submit when God asks me to do something I don't want to do. I want to show you four different moments in scripture that are really powerful that I think get, get just breezed right over. Uh, and these four moments involve Paul, James, Peter, and Jude. I, I want you to hear this, okay? Because this is calibrating for me. Listen to the way their letters start off. So I'm going to read you the first verse of each of one of their letters. Okay, so Romans, James, 2 Peter, and Jude. Here's how Romans 1.1 1, 1 starts. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Here's how James 1 starts. Verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter starts like this in chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's how Jude starts in verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Before it even identifies, apparently, which Jude it is, is the brother of James. First and foremost, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What's a bondservant? Someone who doesn't belong to themselves. I was bought. For the ultimate price. And so were you. And because I accepted what Jesus did for me, I became a bondservant of Jesus. And now it's Christ living in me. I'm not here to do what I want. I'm here to do what he wants. That's the point of my life now. I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that Preston, I'll personalize it just like I want you to. This life isn't about you. This life isn't about where you want to live. This life isn't about what job you want to do. This life isn't about how you want to spend your days. This life isn't about whether or not you want to hide. Your life is all about Jesus. And your life is no longer your own. 
Okay, what would it change if you went into 2024? Extremely mindful of the fact that this year is not yours. It's his. See, so many of us go into a new year setting goals. I don't think that's bad. I just think it can be very distracting. Because here's the number one goal, I believe, for the children of God in a new year. To do whatever he asks for. Because we're not just his children. We are his servants. This is an important one to understand as we transition to question number four. What is God asking for me to stop or quit? What is God asking me to stop or quit? First Peter chapter three points out with three, really two very important words in the middle of this very important run. Listen to what Peter says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Okay, so it starts, this part of the passage starts with, hey, if you want this, don't do that. Listen to verse 11, hear are the words. Turn away from. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do, who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, there are lots of different definitions for evil, but let me give you one of my definitions. To do anything God asks me not to do, that's evil. If that's wrong, that's sin. If God asks me not to do something and I do it, that's evil. It's not just bad or wrong. It's evil. But I think we have to understand a little bit of of what I believe is God's why behind asking us to stop or to quit doing certain things. I want you to think of, of last year or the last season like a place, okay? And the new year like a new place. Here's what I would say. You will not enjoy or be anointed for the new place God is taking you if you behave the same way you did in the last place God placed you. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the benefits of the new place and hold on to the comfort of the old bad behaviors. Now at some point, uh, in this new year, I'm going to do an episode on numbing um, because I've, I've been just all throughout COVID. I, I think I, I learned a lot about numbing and the human desire in a fallen world to anesthetize using a variety of things. All right. So I'm not going to not going to camp here for too long because we're going to do a whole episode on this. Uh, but I do want to highlight this. All right. Let me say it this way. You will not win races with losing habits. There are things that you convinced yourself that were wrong in this prior season that are not just wrong in this new season. They quite possibly could disqualify you. You cannot win races 
with losing habits. You can't win new races with old habits. I remember um, before I became an elder in Dallas, this was the first time I had ever um, been asked by the Lord to become an elder. Uh, and so it was very significant. But before I became an elder, I felt the Lord. Uh, he didn't say you're going to become an elder, but I felt him ramp things up and challenge me to start living my life uh, and taking myself as seriously as the elders of Gateway in Dallas. And I was in my late 20s at the time. And one of the things that I had a little bit of a tendency to do from time to time was to talk a little bit too much. And I don't mean like verbal vomit or diarrhea. I'm talking about um, I would communicate things that were meant to be held in confidence. I remember the day the Lord gave me Proverbs 10, 19 to help calibrate my mind and my heart and my actions as it related to this season of pre preparation to eventually become an elder. It says this, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. There was a room that God, I didn't even know it, was going to ask me to step into, but some of my habits that I had at that time would not allow me to step into that room, let alone ever be used in it. When God asks you to stop something before you step into a new room, it's because the thing you need to stop would either rob you of most of the joy of being in the room or it would disqualify you if you did it just once in the room. And this is why God said, Preston, you have a habit. Uh, you talk a little bit too much about things that are not meant to be talked about in public. Whether it was Robert had said something and, and he, here's what I learned. Uh, don't just accept it at face value when the Lord asks you to stop doing something. Dig around and figure out why you do that something. I got a text from a friend uh, who uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this temptation and um, I need to figure out how to overcome it. What advice do you have? And I said, listen, most people, when they come and ask a pastor this question, think that the pastor's response is going to be something to the effect of, stop it. Just stop and replace it with something better. Okay, that's good. It's a good strategy. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's what I typically say to people. Hey, before you stop doing it, have you dug around at all in your heart to figure out why you had such a proclivity to do it? Why you have such a desire to do it, even though you know it's wrong? See, when God says, so we'll go back to my example. When God said, Preston, you are meant to hold things in confidence, but you over-communicate things that should be held in confidence. I didn't just take it at face value. I started digging around. Well, Lord, why do I do that? You know, one of the things that will make you a far more healthy version of you, it's by digging around in the soil of your heart to figure out why you do what you do and why you don't do what you know you should do. Dig around. Lord, why do I do that? 
why do I say that? I know it's wrong when I say it. I know I'm not supposed to betray that confidence. Why do I do that? Here's what I felt like the Lord said in response. You're insecure. You're insecure. You think people don't take you seriously. And you are wrongly sharing serious news, serious information, because you think that's what will cause people to take you more seriously. Preston, let me help you understand. The opposite of insecurity is not confidence. The opposite of insecurity is settledness. Take that one out for a spin. See, I think we just think, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be insecure. So the opposite of insecurity, I just got to walk around and be confident. No, no, no. The opposite of insecurity is settledness. Are you settled in who you are in Christ Jesus? Are you settled in how God wired you? Are you settled in who God created you to be, no matter what anyone else says about it or thinks about it? Insecurity always brings unsettledness. God asks you to stop doing something. Figure out why. That will help you have a much higher rate of success as it relates to never doing it again. But if you don't figure out why, you're probably prone to slipping up in it at some point again. Now, I do want to hit this one point on this question as it relates to stopping the stopping of doing things we know are wrong. Never, ever, ever be flippant about God asking you to stop doing something. Never when God says, Preston, I don't want you to do that anymore, have this kind of response. Eh, Lord, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, if he asked me to stop doing it, it's clearly a big deal. Never be flippant about God asking you to stop doing something. Here's why. If you're flippant about the wrong God asks you to stop doing, you'll be just as flippant about the good God asks you to begin doing. Here's how to see the stopping of uh, bad things or bad habits. It's like cleaning up a mess in your house. Imagine there's just mess everywhere. When you clean up the messes, that decluttering makes room for new furniture. If there's piles of garbage everywhere in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships, in every one of your pillars, here's what you'll probably say when God tries to drop off some new furniture in your life. I'm sorry, Lord. There just isn't enough room. I see this all the time. And people don't think they're saying this to the Lord, This is absolutely what they're saying to the Lord. God's bringing something new. They reject it. And here's why. Because they've refused to let go of the old. So let's talk about this for a sec. Attachment to the old keeps you from being able to step into the new. Oftentimes, the reason we don't want to let go of an old bad habit is because it's actually a crutch. And we don't want to lose the ability to lean on it. You know what's wrong. I know what's wrong. And so it, it's, I shouldn't 
wrestle with or struggle with no longer doing that thing. I shouldn't struggle with stopping the doing of something wrong. So why don't we? Why don't we stop when God asks us to stop? Typically, the reason is we have an unhealthy attachment to that thing. And an attachment to that old thing, that old habit, that old wrongdoing will always keep you from being able to step fully into the new thing God is asking you to steward. Here's question number five. What is God asking of me, which is new? Okay, so four was, what is God asking me to stop, which is old, okay, which is, which is bad. Question five, what is God asking of me, which is new? What are the new habits? What are the new modes of operation? What are the new perspectives? Remember this, every new place has a new protocol. I remember hearing that word for the first time that I can remember uh, in a Tommy Tinney message about Esther. And he, he, you know, his famous line, one of his famous lines is, uh, a night with the king changes everything, or one moment with the king changes everything. And that's really good, but what I remember most about that book and that teaching when I was younger is this. Every palace has a protocol. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they step into a new palace is they don't take the time to understand the new protocol. Every new room you step into to steward has a new set of rules you need to understand. Just because it worked that way in a past room doesn't mean, even though it's still the same you, that things in this new room are going to work the way they did in the old room. Here's how I want you to see God asking for new things from you. Okay, so the last question was about cleaning out the house. This question is more about furnishing the house. The new things God is asking for are like new furnishings in a new home. A house is empty without furniture. And a life is empty without filling it with what God asked for. Now, the principle I use here when I talk about this is Matthew chapter 12. And I know it's about, uh, it involves um, demonic activity. Totally understand that. I'm using the principle about an empty house to remind us how important it is. When we stop doing something, we know we need to stop doing. This passage helps remind us that we don't just stop doing something bad. We bring in doing something good to crowd out the space. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all entered the person and live there. Watch this line. And so that person is worse off than before. <laughs> okay. This is a really important passage as we talk about no longer doing things we should stop doing. Okay, It's not as simple as we'll just stop it. So, so let me give you a very practical example. Maybe you're not married yet. 
and you are engaging in premarital sex with the person you think is going to be your spouse at some point soon. And you go into this new year and you feel the Lord saying, hey, we need to stop all that. This is out of sequence and I'm not going to bless this behavior. So we need to stop this in this season. Okay, what's not as simple as just stop it? Here's why. Number one, because we have an enemy. Number two, because there's such a thing as temptation. So imagine you clean out this room that you've been filling with premarital sex. You clean it out. And now, get the picture. You're just sitting on the floor, looking around, hoping not to be tempted and turning that room into a den of premarital sex once again. Okay, what would help you? Here's what I think. Divine distractions. This is the way I am. If I'm trying to eliminate something from my life, which is not good that God's asking me to stop doing, I have learned about me. I need to replace it with divine distractions. I kind of see it like this. So put up a TV on the wall so that you're distracted. And here's, for me, the TV. In the past, it's, it's represented things like this. Getting into God's word. Pursuing God more intimately. That's one of the most divine distractions that I'm aware of. If I don't fill that empty space, step one is getting that out of my life. Awesome step. Good job. Well done you. But understand, you will be very inclined to going back to that old bad thing. If you don't fill the space with the new things God is asking for. But here's what I hear a lot of at the beginning of a year. I hear a lot of talk about God doing a new thing in a new year. Oh, God's doing a new thing in me and through me and for me in this new year. Good question. Why would God do a bunch of new things if you won't? There's a list of new things God is asking for in this new year. Do you think it's right of you to expect God to do a bunch of new things if you refuse to do any? Proverbs 14, 23 says it like this. Work brings profit, but talk leads to poverty. I don't care what you say. This is going to be the best year of my life. I don't care about all that talk. If you're not bringing more of the new things into your life that God is asking of you, I don't see you doing anything other than the same old thing. Now, two ways to see God asking for new things, all right? And, and the first one is typically what I see the most. The first thing I see with people most often when God asks for new things is they get overwhelmed and annoyed. God, this, this is j- j- just it's never enough for you, is it? It's never enough. So I got to do the, all those and this new stuff? Listen, not the best way to see God asking for new things from you. Get overwhelmed. Get annoyed by the ask. Here's the second way, and I think the much better way to see God asking for new things. Get excited. Get excited and be aware. Instead of being overwhelmed and annoyed, get excited and be aware. Here's what I mean. 
when God asks for new things, and he is this year, I believe he does every year. A new year brings new things and new requests. Here's how I've learned when God stepping into a new year, when he sits me down and says, Preston, there's some new things that are going to be required of you and in you in order to steward this new season. I get excited. Anytime he asks me for new things, it's because he's wanting to do something new. That's why you should not be at all surprised. There is something new God wants to do, which will require something new from you. What is it God is asking of you in this new year, which is new to you? Maybe it's consistent alone time with him. Maybe it's tithing. You've never tithed before. Maybe it's giving over and above your tithe and you never tried that before. Maybe it's waking up every morning before you go to work and spending 20 minutes alone with him. Maybe it's every time you walk into a room in this new year, you say something encouraging to at least one person. Here's what I've been around the block enough to know. New Year's bring new requests. Don't get so excited about the new thing you believe God wants to do that you're not focused on doing the new things God is asking of you. That leads us to point or question number six. What is God asking for more of, which is not new? This is an important one for me. I think for all of us. Because much good has been lost as a result of getting too focused on that which is new. It's like everybody gets excited about the new, oh, God's asking me to do this new thing. And so we just go, if you're like me, I go all in. And sometimes I go all in on the new thing God's asking for at the expense of some of the good old things he wants to remain or continue. Let me ask it like this. What was done well, which must not change? Imagine seeing your life like this, like a well-built house. What would happen if you stopped doing what built the ground floor? See, we just think we can build the first floor and then we move on to the second floor and we don't ever have to think about the foundation ever again. No, no, no. I don't know. With your life, you have to constantly monitor every floor, every room. What would happen if you stopped doing what built the ground floor? Here's what would happen. The whole house would, would collapse. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 say. That's similar language in each of the verses. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Okay, so you were doing it. You've been doing it. The writer of Hebrews says, now keep doing it. Listen to verse two. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Okay, you've been doing this. Don't forget to keep doing it. For some who've done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Listen to verse three. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember all those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Keep on. Don't forget Remember, every time we go into a new year, I think we, we need to remind ourselves, hey, 
Don't ditch everything from the past year. There was some really good stuff that came from last year. There's some really good moments, some holy moments. There's some really good habits that were created in 2023 that God is asking to carry into and through 2024. Let me kind of sarcastically paint the picture like this. Okay. Uh, let's say Holly and I sit down and she says, uh, hey, uh, 2023 date night was awesome. It was smashing success. And I, I loved it. But there's something new that I want in our marriage in 2024. She shares it. What if I approached it like this? Okay, I'm going all in on that new thing. Screw date night. That was 2023. That was so 2023. I don't know. That's foundational. Listen, we never stop doing the foundational things required to keep the foundation strong so that the substructure can be built to facilitate the life God is asking us to live in him and through him. I wouldn't quit on date night. I don't just give up. I carry on that good thing that I learned in 2023 that I must continue to do in 2024. And what she's saying is, I don't want you to stop that. I want you to add this. Okay, so one of the lists I think you need to make is what are the good things that are not new that God is asking for more of? I think more is one of God's favorite words to use with us. Don't just get so focused on the new and throw yourself wholeheartedly into that one, two, or three things. Be really clear on what God asked for in the past season that he wants to continue in this present season. That leads us to the last question, and we'll wrap up. What does success for me look like from God's perspective? As it relates to this new year, what does success for me look like from God's perspective? Let me calibrate you in Luke chapter 9 with this passage. Jesus' disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts. So he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Watch this next time. Whoever is the least among you. He answers their question, who's the greatest among us? Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. I love when Jesus reminds us that his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Up is down, down is up. You want to gain your life? What did he say? You got to lose it. You want to be the first? You've got to become the last. You want to be the biggest leader? Become the biggest servant. Time and time again, Jesus calibrated us that this kingdom of his is an upside down kingdom. My best years have come from being clear on what God calls a successful year before the year even starts. This is a question I ask him. Lord, what does a successful 2024 
in my life look like from your perspective? I don't want to know from the people's perspective. Some people would look at my 2023 and go, Preston, you had a really successful 2023. I don't know. Did I? If God isn't pleased with what I did, how could it be a success? The only way it can be a success is if God is pleased. My best years didn't come from me setting the most goals. My best years came from being clear on what God called a successful year before I even started it. On the other side of that coin, one of the easiest ways for 2024 to be an utter failure is for you to not even know what a successful 2024 looks like. Now, I'm not saying you have to adopt this. Um, but this next part is, is a word I feel the Lord typically use with me uh, most consistently as he and I talk about New Year's. He uses the word more. The Lord typically uses the word more to calibrate me on where the success is for that year. So I'll give you some examples um, for my 2024. Preston, a successful 2024 for you looks like more of my presence. Preston, a successful 2024 for you looks like more giving. Preston, I want this to be a year where you give more than you ever have. And he was specific. And I wish it would have just involved writing bigger checks. Preston, a successful 2024 for you involves more submitting. See, others would think on the outside, man, a successful 2024 for Preston means more leadership. God says, no, a successful year for you means more submitting. Preston, a successful year in 2024 for you is more trusting. I'm going to take you down some paths. They're going to scare you a little bit. I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to build you. There's something I am doing that's going to require you to trust me more than you ever have. Preston, a successful 2024 for you looks like more silence. This is one of my favorite ones. Silence is something I've been learning this last couple of years in my alone time with him. There are times I feel like more is being done, more is happening in me and around me in my silence than in my speech. I felt the Lord say, a successful 2024 involves more silence. Notice each of these starts with the word more. In other words, it's something I've hopefully been giving him. Because if I hadn't been giving it to him, he wouldn't be saying, give me more of it. He'd be saying, give it to me. More faith. And then the last one, he said more celebrating. <laughs> this is one he's been working on for a while. And it is one of my biggest goals for this year. I, I want, at all times, I want the Lord to look in my direction with a smile on his face and be pleased. But one of the things in this year for me, one of the goals I'm setting 
is that one of the things I do most consistently in such a way that it brings a smile to his face is that I celebrate more than I ever have what I see God doing around me, in me, through me, for me, for the ones I love, through the ones I love. I want to bring a smile to his face in 2024 by celebrating more than I ever have. Okay, do you see how easy this is? Going into a new year, having this much information. I'm not telling you 2024 is going to be an easy year. I'm just trying to help make it a little bit easier, no matter how hard it's going to be. My goals for this year are connected to what God wants to see more of in this year. So here's my question for you. What would 2024 look like if you said, 2024 is going to be my most extravagant response yet to God and all he has done for me? What if you went into the year with that as your calibration? This is going to be the year of my greatest response to God. This is going to be my biggest declaration of love for the Lord. This is going to be my biggest year of pursuing him intimately because it's what he wants more than anything. As it relates to the things he's going to ask you to do. What if you saw this year as his year rather than another one of your years? You know, when you hear uh, B.C. and A.D., A.D., a note, Domini, literally means the year of our Lord. And so it's meant to be a dividing line. But I wonder if, if that's actually how we're supposed to approach the years of the calendar. What if every year, not just the year of his birth, what if every year is meant to be the year of our Lord? And I most certainly believe that it is. If you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, what is it the Lord wants done by you and in you so that he can do through you whatever he wants to do? If you go into this new year acting like it's another one of your years, well, this is my 46th year. I don't want to talk like that. It's not my 46th year. This is the year of our Lord. Preston, what does that mean? It means my number one goal is that the Lord gets everything this year that he wants from me, no matter how much it costs me. I want that to be my perspective every year because he deserves it. He gave me his all. He gives me his all. I must respond as best I can with my human frailty and limitations I must respond saying, you can have my all. You can have it all, Lord. This year is yours. Do whatever you want. 
and I'll do whatever you ask. I want to pray over you as you, Lord willing, endeavor to walk through these questions in preparation for this year and how you steward it. Please don't approach this year like all the others. There's something God has been planning to do since before the beginning of time. And it's our job to bring it to him. I want to pray over you uh, and ask that God would anoint you to do this digging and do this work as you prepare to do whatever he asks of you this year. Jesus, we are your bondservants. We're not here for us. We're here for you. Help us be reminded of that. Help us to prepare. As we navigate these questions and hear your answers, not just ours. Because these are questions we ask you. These are questions we bring to you. Spirit of the living God, I don't know what's going to go down in 2024, but you do. Would you help each of us answer these questions? Help us not to mindlessly go into another year as though it was just going to be a similar year to all the other years. Holy Spirit, awaken us. You're doing something new in this new year. And will you help us to do our part in everything you're asking of us? Now, God, I ask you to anoint my brothers and sisters. To those who endeavor to, with a, a pure heart, go through these questions and get your answers to them. God, I pray you would rip open the windows of heaven and pour down upon them the oil of heaven to navigate this new year. Lord, whether the thing they've been hoping for for years happens or not this year, I pray what would happen. They would experience a measure of the oil of heaven they've never been allowed to have access to before. God, help us. Help us. We want to bring you everything you're asking of us. But we need your help. Oh, God. May each of us arrive at the end of 2024. Having knocked off everything on your list. For us to obediently and sacrificially bring to your feet. This year is a gift, no matter what comes in it or with it. May we give 2024 the year of our Lord to our Lord because he deserves it. And would you anoint us to do so in Jesus' name? Amen.
love it. I love doing the hard work. I love the hard questions. I'm a question asker, but I'm also a hard question asker of myself. And so I'm sharing that with you. I want this to be a year where the Lord trusts you in a way he's never trusted you before. But that's going to take a measure of work and digging you've never experienced before. So get to it. There's much to do this year. There are many gifts to bring to his feet. I pray that you are one who brings him everything he's asking for this year. Love you. I'm praying for you. I pray God rips open the windows of heaven over you as you navigate every part of this year that he's asking for from you. Love you. See you next week.